<clears throat> we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, welcome back, dear listener. It's the 18th of September, 2018, and you are listening to the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. We talk about news, religion, politics, things going on in the world. We review what's happening. We try and work it out, try and explain it. Maybe just have a good old cry about it if it's all too hard, (laughs) which might well be the case for this episode because there's some sad things going on. Dear listener, uh, we've got our normal panel. Welcome aboard again, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. And... ScoMo is scaring the Jesus out of me. Yes, he's scaring us all. And mm. Paul, the 12th man, welcome aboard again. Uh, well, well, thank you for welcoming me. <laughs> Glad to be on the good ship um, for Iron Fist and Velvet Glove again. It's a good ship. It's taken on a bit of water lately. <laughs> <laughs> you mean beer, don't you? <laughs> well, both. Uh, Scott, do you, would you like to would you like to um, tell the, the listener about our, our temporary beer sponsor? Yeah. <laughs> uh, tonight, I'm not actually drinking from Warren's. Uh, it has arrived, Warren. Thank you very much. And we yes. just had a look at it, but. Uh, Trevor mistook me for English, and he hasn't refrigerated it, so um, so <laughs> we're not drinking from that. But we are drinking um, a Stone and Wood Pacific Ale, which comes all the way from Beijing, China, mm. in uh, in the from uh, Landon Hardbottom. So mm. thank you very much, Landon. Thank, thank you, Landon. So Thanks, yeah, he's he, he's a good bloke. It's turned out he's one of our favourites. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, I mean, you know. What did he say? He says, "I'm pleased to see that you've in you've ended your insanity by taking by uh, subscribing to that Murdoch masterpiece, The Australian." That's right. <laughs> Good on you, Landon. Thanks mm. for that. So we're we're all enjoying it right now. So all right, dear listener, on to the topics. Well, we're going to be talking about Scott Morrison and his most recent comments because he's been saying a lot, and for a, for a podcast that deals with secularism and the interference of religion in our Government, uh, there's a lot to be worried about. We're going to be talking about prayers in Parliament. They're going to be continuing. We've got a school child who refuses to stand for the national anthem. We've, well, this, that'll be an interesting discussion. That one. Um, what is a Pentecostal and how to say shit on God in Spanish? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, more stuff about affirmative action and. Josh Frydenberg has some dubious heroes. So that's all on the agenda for this evening. So, well, first up, Scott Morrison. Let's just play a little bit. He had an interview on Sky News with uh, whoever it is on Sky News. Paul Murray, I think is the guy's name that he was being interviewed with. And I'll play you uh, what he had to say. When you talk about religious freedom in particular, Mm. um, my concerns about it is that I would hate to see the extremes of any faith use religious freedom, legal protection to protect the worst parts of, of their faith. Because we, we know what's happening. We know yeah. that underage marriage, they're not going off and getting it registered with the government. No. It's happening in the backyard ceremony. True. Polygamy is happening 
I cancel, I think, some people's visas for doing that. Well, this memory. is it. So, so, so what does religious freedom mean that needs a law around it that you are attracted to? Well, give this example. If you're... I send my kids to a Christian school. I think that Christian school should be able to ensure that they can provide education consistent with the Christian faith and teachings that I believe in as a parent. That's why I'm sending them there. And I don't think that school should be told who they can and can't employ um, or uh, have restrictions on them um, in ensuring that they're delivering to me, the parent, (laughs) their client, their customer, um, what I'm investing in for my children's education. Here's another one. Let's say you have some particular religious views about something or other um, that's deeply held within your faith. It doesn't contravene national laws or anything like this. And, you know, a company has a particular policy which doesn't sit well with your view. You're a totally competent person to sit on that board of a, of a public company. Why should you be denied a directorship or a partnership, indeed, in a law firm or an accountancy firm, just because you happen to have and have expressed on Facebook or somewhere a particular religious belief? I mean, that shouldn't happen in this country. Now, I'm not saying it is necessarily and people say, oh, well, if the, you know, there's not this great problem, why do you need to do it? Well, can they guarantee me it won't happen in the future? I've seen where this issue's gone over the last 10 years and issues of freedom and speech. I've seen where they've gone over the last 10 years. Not quite sure I'm pleased with the trajectory. So there's nothing wrong with a bit of preventative uh, regulation and legislation to ensure that your religious freedom in this country. I mean, what's more fundamental than that? Mm. <laughs> Let me summarise that. A school should be able to refuse a non-Christian teacher, but a board or professional partnership should not be able to refuse a Christian. Exactly. The hypocrisy. It is dripping with it, isn't it? On the one hand, we should be able to do what we like with hiring. On the other hand, oh, those guys shouldn't be able to do what they like if it's going to be Mm anti-Christian. Can... can People not see that isn't only obvious to Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcasters and listeners. I don't know. It, it beggars belief that he actually said what he said with a straight face. Now, I didn't see the interview. This is the first time I've heard it. But, you know, it's a good thing that, well, it's, yeah, it's a good thing you couldn't see it because I was making all sorts of faces during the whole interview. But what really annoyed me about that was exactly the line you pointed out there where he said he wants his his daughters to be educated in a certain way and that the school should be able to employ people that they know will fulfill their roles mm. but he then said to Paul Murray mm. but you know if you were on a board or something like that you know and you expressed a certain religious opinion that shouldn't preclude you from being on the board so it sounds a little bit like he's saying anybody who was refused a position on a board on the basis of their, you know, superstition would perhaps have the legal option of suing. Is that what it sounds like to you? I think he's referring to there was a case, I think, where... I don't know if it was Qantas, but uh, I think there was a board that refused a member because he started making outlandish statements about gay marriage or something like that. I, th- I think something like ah, happened. So it's getting back to the, the yeah. marriage equality issue. Yes. But the danger of Scott Morrison is he's got this folksy demeanour about him and a way of communicating it which 
is going to appeal to a lot of people. If 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 Abbott came out with stuff, uh, it wouldn't be as appealing as this guy might slide it through because oh, it's a folksy. I've got my daughters in Christian school and I'm investing in their education and I should be able to do what I want. And mm. he can couch it in terms that on the face of it might seem palatable to a lot of people. So he's quite dangerous in that respect. Um, and he's he's not afraid. To, he, this, look, dear listener, the Ruddock inquiry, it seems, has got about 20 recommendations, and he's going to go for all of them. Like, th- this is going to be one of his planks of how he's going to differentiate himself, and it's going to be one of the marks of, of his leadership is, is this. He's going to go for it. And yet he hasn't released the results of the inquiry. Not yet. He's Why just, are they sitting on it? He's just he's he's tilling the ground right now. He's he's making these statements like this uh, in a few different places, and he's getting people warmed up for it and and, you, and feeling the the waters and feeling for the backlash and and gauging public response to these sorts of comments. He mentioned free free speech uh, with regard to freedom of religion as well, and he said he didn't like the direction that things have been heading recently. Now, my fear is that he's going to actually make it an offence to insult or demean people who express religious beliefs. He hates it that Christianity is ridiculed. Yes. He can't stand, he feels that it intimidates Christians and that, um, yeah, he hates yeah. the ridiculing of yeah. of faith. So Somebody should he, point out to him, there's a lot to ridicule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, dear listener, um, that, that sort of part, A, eh, of, of, of what's happened in secularism, Scott Morrison is warming up and he's gauging the public opinion. And we're going to talk about parliamentary prayers now, but here's where we're heading. We've lost the battle on parliamentary prayers. They're going to stay in the Senate. So the, we'll talk about it now, but essentially that battle's been lost. And it's through apathy is one of the key reasons why. Apathy on the part of the secular movement, which is a movement that doesn't move, just sits at home and does nothing. And Scott Morrison is feeling the waters at the moment and it's up to us to do something about it, which we'll get on to. So let's, uh, I'll tie all that in together in a few moments when we've got through this, but... Uh, there was an inquiry into parliamentary prayers in the Senate and there was a committee that looked into it and they received submissions. And I'm, I've got a link to their report and it says that the inquiry received a relatively high number of submissions, primarily from individuals. Of approximately 820 submissions received, approximately half were form letters or variations of form letters. The vast majority of submissions do not support replacing the prayer, i.e. the vast majority are pro-prayer. All of the approximately 390 form letters opposed changing, so they were pro-prayers. So that was the ACL putting out a form letter for people to copy? Of the substantive submissions, 359 opposed the change, compared with 73 in favour of a change for getting rid of prayers. 73 out of 25 million of us. Mm-hmm. 
There you go. But the churches mobilised, didn't they? And they they issued pro formas to congregations and urged their their people to send them in. Let's get that straight again. So of substantive submissions, 359 keep the prayers, 73 get rid of them. And then you had another 390 form letters saying keep the prayers. We deserve what we get. That's a bit harsh. If we can't, well, no, I think you're we right, can't Trevor. be bothered. I think you're right, Trevor. We, we, we've stuck, we're, we're stuck with the prayers now again until someone else has got the guts to try, try it again. But I think next time round... When there's another Senate-est inquiry into this, I think all of us have to put in a submission to that inquiry saying that it's nonsense, we don't want it anymore, it's got to go, because the churches are organised, and you're right, they were the ones that sent out the form letters, blah, 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 blah. They got themselves organised. 749 submissions coordinated by Christians, 73 on our side. So that's why we've got. That's why we've lost. Anyway, they, sorry. the average punter, if it doesn't affect his his tax bracket or his take home pay, the average punter doesn't give a toss. Yeah. So the committee said, uh, essentially, this same question was referred to the procedure committee in 1997, and on that occasion, the committee reported. Um, it is clear that many senators who join in the prayer regard its retention as important, but among those who do not join in the prayer, there does not appear to be a strong view that its proposed abolition is a significant question which should occupy the time of the Senate. So that was the feeling back in 1997. And they're saying now, the submissions put to the committee on this occasion and the views of the committee members and their colleagues suggest that opinions about prayer are not significantly different in 2018 than they were in 1997. Garbage. Well, nor in, well, but it's based on the submissions. Yeah, based on the submissions, yep. it's not different. But, you know, you can't tell me that Simon Birmingham, who is an out atheist, you know, that he would not have some sort of opinion about the prayer. The, their conclusion was those in favour of the prayer strongly favour its retention, while those opposed to the prayer are less vocal and less concerned to see it changed. I think that's probably accurate. And on that basis, they said, we're not going to change it. Mm. Even though when you go through the uh, submissions, they've actually summarised the reasons and, you know, they've been offered cogent good reasons from various groups. All the sorts of things that we would say are there and, of course, they've got the nonsensical arguments of the religious group as well, all the ones that you'd expect. So they've heard all the arguments, but at the end of the day they've just said, well... Clearly the people in favour of prayers are far more vehement and feel strongly about this than the others. You really don't give a toss. much a toss, much, yeah. you know. 73 submissions. So there we are, stuck with them for another 20 years. Uh, well, look, I count myself amongst that. It was my fault too that I didn't put in a submission myself, mm, you know. So mm. I could have been 74, I suppose. But Yeah, I put one in. What about you, 12th man? Uh, no. Right, okay. But... Look, I think it'll take more than just the odd senator, you know, putting in a um, a proposal to change it. It'll take much more, you know, widespread sentiment in the community, in the general community, before anything like that really shifts. Mm. And how that would be mobilised, I, I really don't know, because most mm. people just don't care about things like that. Mm. It doesn't affect them. Mm. Well, the National Secular Lobby... 
Um, they've put out some press releases and um, Chris Schott put out a statement which part of it said, this is a gross insult to the many Australians that choose to follow a non-Christian faith or no faith at all. I agree with him there. And the um, they've put out another se- uh, press release, the National Secular Lobby, where they've uh, talked about the interview that Scott Morrison has given. So um, I'll read a little bit of it. Scott Morrison gave two interviews last week indicating likely changes to discrimination laws in the wake of the Religious Freedom Review. Quote, What I can guarantee all Australians is that their religious freedoms will be protected by law if necessary, he told 7.30 host Lee Sales. When asked what religious freedoms were not protected by law right now, he was unable to give any examples. Instead saying... I believe there could be problems in the future. And <laughs> on Alan Jones, on 2GB, he said, if you don't have freedom of your faith, of your belief, and in whatever religion that is, then you don't have freedom in this country at all. So that's Lee Sales on 7.30 Report, Alan Jones on 2GB, and we just played a clip from Sky News. Yeah. He's just feeling the waters he's and making these statements. Extremely vague, isn't he, he's with his statements, public statements. I mean, what on earth does he think religious people need? He's, he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Anybody objecting? That's what he's saying. Yeah, and he's, what's really offensive about this is he's saying he's going to do that before he has released the Ruddock Review. Yes. He's going to go ahead and do that. And, you know, well... It wouldn't surprise me if the Ruddock Review's just swept under the carpet. Especially, swept under the carpet? Well, yeah. especially... No, he's going to take it and he's going to implement every... Yeah, I, I know. If, you, if, if there are 20-odd recommendations for, religious, for protection of religious freedom, then I can accede that he will actually have 20 points put down into legislation, which will get knocked back by the Senate. But <clears throat> I reckon he will go for it. And you he'll know. totally ignore... Any any submission to that review that was in any way to him against religion. Yeah. yeah so, what was that guy's name that put in that submission that we linked to? Uh, Luke Beck or no no uh, the, the bloke the, Dean Stratton. Dean Stratton. Yeah. One of our patrons. Exactly. Mm. Now you know his submission was brilliant. Mm, it, really was. it really was. Now you can't tell me that the. Commissioners weren't actually thinking to themselves, "Holy shit, we've got a live one here!" <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they, they don't care. No. It's what can. These are ideological nutters. They there's no convincing them mm. that they don't care what what your opinion is. It's are they going to lose votes? Can they get away with this? Can, can they get away with it? Is what they're worried about. So. Um, so you think Morrison's just testing the waters to see how far he can push it? Is there a backlash? Mm. He's making the statements and saying, look, he'll go into the cabinet and he'll say, look, I was on 2GB, I was on Sky News, I was on um, 7.30 Report, made all these statements, and uh, no, no big backlash, let's go ahead and do it. So, dear listener, here's the challenge for you. Here is the challenge. The National Secular Lobby is saying... Uh, they're putting out a bit of a call to action and they're saying we've lost the fight on prayers. Well, I don't know if they're saying it this way, but I'm saying it this way. We've lost the fight on prayers in Parliament through apathy. 
we've got a nutty Prime Minister telling us what he's about to do, we really need to be active and make it very clear that we're not happy. And one of the ways you can do that is you could write a letter to the editor of one of the major newspapers in this fair country. And I've got a link to a page on the National Secular Lobby website where they've got the email addresses for the various letters to the editor pages. Oh, good. Mm. Okay. Australian Financial Review, The Age, the Saturday Paper, Sydney Morning Herald, Sun Herald, Manly Daily, The Australian, Adelaide Advertiser, Canberra Times, Western Australian, all have an email address. Then other newspapers, they don't have an email. It's an online submission form that you have to go to. But they've got the link right there for Courier Mail, Advocate, Herald Sun, Newcastle Herald. Here's the challenge, dear listener. Between now and our next episode, write a letter to the editor objecting to the sorts of things that Scott Morrison is preempting and get it published. Mm. And contact us and say, fist, glove, twelfth, here I wrote this letter and it got published in this paper. And Let's see what we can do. Like, as a group, let's. wouldn't it be great if we could say at the end of the, you know, next, in the next episode, we could say that there were 10 letters published across Australia from IFVG listeners. <laughs> so you don't have to submit to just one. You can write the same letter to all of them, but just submit it. But in particular, if you could object to proposed laws that are going to deal with anti-discrimination, you know, and water it down and allow them to sack teachers. I mean, most state, lots of states already allow it, but we're talking now about a federal law Mm -hmm. that's going to allow these guys to, you know, sack teachers because they're gay or or they're pregnant when they're not married or they're doing any other sort of thing which... Living out of wedlock. Indeed. Just having a good time, you know, is probably enough for these guys. So... So let's let's give it a go and see. So stop listening right now. Like if you're at home and listening to this, put put the put the this podcast on pause and go to the website and click on the link and and well write a little a letter to the editor. It doesn't have to be that long. It can simply be Scott Morrison. You are crazy if you think that we don't care about these issues. If you are going to do this, this, and this, I will be voting against you and I'll be telling all of my friends, do not expand religious privilege. But Fist, are you mm. suggesting listeners to this podcast are not capable of listening to the podcast and tapping out a, a letter at the same time? No, they can't. You couldn't do it at the same time. It's because it's... Uh, because they're men. Well, because there's too much information that we're passing on here and the letter they're going to write is going to be, require some thought. And people will forget. They'll get to the end and they'll have a good laugh about something and then, you know, they'll move on to the next podcast. So stop right now and just do it. It's not that hard. And um, and see how we go. And let us know. If you get published, let us know so that we can then get a feel for whether we're having any effect whatsoever. So um, there's a challenge. Are you going to write a letter, Scott? I am going to write a letter. I'm definitely going to write a letter now. How could I not? Great, okay. (laughs) I'd be totally ashamed of myself if I front up next week and I haven't written a letter. Good, should be. I mean, yeah, I've had some 
success in getting letters published by the Courier Mail before. So I'll have, another, I'll have a shot. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So write it and submit it to all of them and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. I mean, well, would they publish me in Melbourne or not? Um, who knows? But, um, you know, like the Saturday paper and the Australian and mm. that are all national ones. So That's true. Yeah. yeah. So there's your challenge, dear listener. Right. Speaking of the Saturday paper... <laughs> There was a terrific article. Lots of people sent me this one, actually. It was uh, really good, wasn't it? It was from Mike Seckham, and it was titled The Liberals' Religious Right. And I hadn't heard of Mal Washup before. Had you? No. Yeah, I knew of Mal Washup, yeah. So this article tells the story of Mal Washup, who's no longer a federal MP, but he is a man of science, not faith. He's a medical doctor and an atheist. And for 15 years, until 2013, he represented the West Australian seat of Moore and a dwindling strand of science-based progressive liberalism. And while in Canberra he had run-ins with the right wing over abortion, drugs and stem cell research, which he won over the years, um, he says, quote, when talking about his battles with the religious right. He said, I fought this type of religious ideology right through and I saw this tribal behaviour where they'd bring their religious ideologies and come and talk a bunch of crap that didn't stack up scientifically or logically. It was ritualistic thinking. This is a, this is a Liberal MP of 15 years standing saying this about his own party, dear listener. Hmm. He said climate change was another one. Um, he was on the relevant parliamentary committees on climate and the environment. He said he resigned after Turnbull lost the leadership the first time. He said, these faith-based people don't believe the science. Um, he goes on, it goes on to say that uh, the Environment Committee is now run by Craig Kelly, a Christian conservative, climate sceptic and coal advocate with no scientific background. The seat that Washer used to represent is now held by Ian Goodenough, a pillar of Global Heart, a Pentecostal church. Um, and he said it used to be a party of free enterprise and sound economics. People, when they vote, are not just voting on economics, they're looking at social issues and the Liberals have just gone off the deep end to the right. <laughs> and he said here... Um, it's not that there are so many of them, he says, but they are tribal, organised, ideologically committed and not averse to bullying. And as the party base narrows, those of more moderate views tend to walk away from the show. Wash's assessment is simple. They defeat us and we deserve it for our apathy. Hmm. That's exactly what you were saying before about the uh, prayers. Hmm. So do we give up on the Liberal Party, do we? Completely give up on the party that has that wonderful word liberal on it. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it? I am, yeah. Yeah. You're going to infiltrate the Labor Party, though, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Well, Take it over. I've written, to the, I've written to the State Secretary of Queensland Labor saying, um, tell us about... The party, if somebody joined, what would their experience be at a branch? How many people do you have to gather together to actually change policy? How does it work? And nobody's responded. And is it a truly democratic yeah. group? So I've asked 
for an interview, nobody's responded. And I did a similar thing with Get Up to saying, we're talking about you guys. Can somebody please come on and talk to us? And again, no response. So in but, your letter to the Labor Party, did you um, divulge your identity as the most radical podcaster? <laughs> yeah, that might be the problem. You know, all this is time. I mean, writing letters, you really, for these sorts of things, need to phone and speak to people, and it's a question of time. So yeah. that'll be, when I find time, I'll ring them and maybe get a response. So, yeah, there we go. Um, uh just at the end of that Saturday paper article, it quotes a guy, Father Rod Bauer, an Anglican priest and archdeacon for justice ministries and chaplaincy in the Diocese of Newcastle. And he worries that the prosperity gospel is certainly part of the Pentecostal stream of theology, which is essentially the religious version of trickle-down economics. Um, he says it's worrying that... You have a Prime Minister who seems to have an economic architecture that holds to that trickle-down model, and if that economic architecture is sanctified by a theological architecture, that makes for a very dangerous mix. (laughs) We are going to talk about that sort of thing a little bit later as well. Oh, dear. Um, Just on on prayers. Uh, Do you have one? I do. I've got, I do, I've, I've got a prayer. If you could join me, dear listener, uh, I'm reaching for my skeptics annotated Bible. And uh, this one is from the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 109, verse 8. Uh, and this is for a prayer for Scott Morrison. Let his days be few and let another take his office. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Short and sweet, that one. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> Ah, it'll probably be as useful as any other prayer. I used mm. to like ScoMo too. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah. Why would you? What's yeah. to like? Well, I I always knew he was a Christian, but he never was out there wacky like he has been since he's got the leadership. You know, so you know, I was just able to overlook that and that sort of thing, and just look at the daggy man that he was, and blah 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 blah. But you know. With him saying what he said, then no, no way. By the way, uh, Archbishop uh, Coleridge, he came out and said that uh, in relation to prayers in Parliament, Australia is a pluralist, not a secular society, and inherent in a pluralist society are different views, beliefs and traditions. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to understand that's exactly what secularism is supposed to be. It's about pluralism, where everybody is free to believe what they want, say what they want, and practice their religion within the you know, parameters of the law of the land. But they don't like the freedom from religion aspect no, they of, don't like of that secularism, at all, do they? Yeah. No. yeah, they want us all to be superstitious. Yeah, they like the freedom of religion, but not the freedom from religion. Sure. That's the problem. They don't like escapees like us. Mm. Right, uh, we've had that um, blow up in the media about a nine-year-old girl who refused to stand for the national anthem. Um, at sort of school assemblies. And uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, I'll play a little bit of a clip of what she had to say. 
because we are young, it it completely ignores the Indigenous Australians who were here before us. I feel we should respect the Indigenous people and their culture and we should include them. Here we have a kid who's been brainwashed and I tell you what, I'd give her a kick up the backside. Regardless of her cultural background, we are all Australians. This is divisive. I feel that I shouldn't be made to leave the room or, or anything else because I feel differently than other people. Right. Thoughts? Twelfth man? Yeah, I, wants look, to... I, um, I fielded a few um, discussions online around this issue. I, I think Pauline Hanson's an idiot. Obviously, you don't kick a child up the backside. I think Pauline Hanson's just trying to appeal to the old fogies that are her base. But, um, no, I don't think the child should have been punished. I mean, I have to say I kind of admire her, her guts and her spirit in terms of just challenging things. You know, I mean, we're, we're basically sceptics and we think it's healthy to challenge authority if, if we don't think, you know, that if we think there might be something false about it. I think that's kind of a healthy thing. However, she's nine years old. She should be just going to school to learn as far as I'm concerned. I really dislike the idea of schools, particularly primary schools, but even high schools becoming political uh, forums or uh, forums for any kind of um, political uh, partisanship, you know. And clearly she's, she's, she's aping her parents, let's face it. She has two parents who work in academia. They're smart, they're articulate, and, they've, uh, and she's, she's imbibed, you know, what goes over the dinner table for you know all her nine years and she's she's seen that it's 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 an admirable thing it'll probably earn her immense credit with her parents and her and her parents peers um to, and she no doubt believes it to as be well. such a precocious and you know mm. little child going to stand up for principle mm. you know i admire the standing up for principle but what i think the school should have done was say okay Let's uh, talk about Australian history. That's an interesting subject. And let's try to find out whether the national anthem indeed is appropriate for 2018. I mean, why not discuss things like that? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think the child is basically uh, just a a vessel for her parents' um, green left politics, frankly. So essentially, if she just wanted to sit down during the... Uh, yeah. during the, She should be allowed to sit down. Just let her. Take, just, a, take a knee, in, just a, say, in a sense. Yeah, OK, dear. We'll mm. talk about this in class later. Mm. Good, mm. good uh, stimulus for class discussion. Mm. I tend to agree with Paul. Um, my better half said, he said, you know, we should just be ignoring this. You know, um, I think they're both right. I think you just should ignore it and that sort of stuff, and I don't think she should have been punished. Um, as to how I feel about the National Anthem, you know, I was only a little fellow when it was changed, so it's the anthem I've always known. So, 
Mm. It is what it is. Um, should we change it? Yeah, but what are you going to change it to? What the child was saying, that the anthem ignores our Indigenous people, uh, I can't see it. Can you? I mean, it's such a, well, she a said, general she said, statement about our geography and, you know... She's, saying, the, she's making the claim that because we are young that that ignores the 50,000-year history of Aboriginal people. I think that's a fair comment. Well, I don't, because we, as the Australian nation, is young. It's barely a bit more than 200 years. But that's years. when you're talking about, you know, the European well, nation we that we're familiar with. You know, we are 60,000 years old? No, Australia isn't 60,000 years old. Well, when we're saying we, we're talking about Australia, it is a good point that for... Uh, Indigenous people that that if they were writing it, they wouldn't be saying we are young. They'd be saying we're an old culture. Like the nation of Australia was not our Indigenous people, frankly, Mm. before the arrival of Europeans. They were just disparate clans of people wandering around the countryside. They did not see themselves as a nation. Sorry, no, no, but, but they are part of the nation now. They are and, now, but they yeah. are contemporary Indigenous and, and, uh, people. I, they are not the people that were here for 50-odd yeah, yeah, thousand years ago. Yes. Well, okay. So you're not prepared to accept that we are young is a bit of a misleading or an incorrect statement. No, I don't, because mm. the, the song is about the, the modern nation, Australia. It didn't it, who exist. Said it is? Who said it is? It didn't exist 50,000 years. Who yeah. said it is? That's, yeah. It's a national anthem of Australia. Yeah, but who said it's about our, our what were the words you just used? The modern nation of Australia. Yeah, who said it's about the modern nation of Australia? It's just, <clears throat> Isn't it? Well, it's... I thought it was just about Australia. I didn't know it was about the modern nation no, of Australia. it's about the modern nation of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I, must have, I didn't see that in the footnotes for it. But well, it, the Americans have yeah. a national anthem. Yes. And their country is yes. a little bit older than ours, yes. but um, it's about <clears throat> America. Mm. The British have God mm. Save the Queen. It's about mm. the Queen. Mm. I think the French, what did they sing? Mm. The Marseille. Yeah. yeah. We need a better tune. It's, ours is a terrible tune. Look, it's, tune. it's a little bit. Yeah, a little bit mm. wooden. Mm. I think we could do better. Mm. Anyway, I when I initially heard it, thought, you know, one of the reasons you go to school is to learn to put up with shit, to prepare <laughs> you for life in the workforce when stuff will happen that you don't like, but you just got to put up with it yeah. because you're a cog in the wheel. So I initially thought to myself, I've got a problem with what she's doing because that's one of the things you do at school is put up with stuff. And But as I started to think about it, I thought, you know, and I think her father said this somewhere, you know, she wasn't objecting to going to math class. Like schools have a core function of teaching our kids stuff and she wasn't objecting to a core function of the school and... Patriotic nationalist songs stirring up nationalistic fervour is not the role of the school in the first place. So if, for example, the school was having a prayer, we'd be saying to her, good on you for not standing up for the prayer. Or if, you know, the Bible Society had arrived at the assembly and started handing out Bibles and she said, I'm not don't want to be here, I want to leave right now, we would have said good luck to her. And 
So there are times, I think, if a school's conducting non-core activity, that a student can legitimately object. And so she's got an objection. So if she wants to, I reckon that's fair enough. The other thing is, you're right about her age and how you've got to be so careful if you are indoctrinating a kid before they can properly assess all the pros and cons. And for a long time now, I've really wanted to start some sort of Satanist religious (laughs) instruction class in a primary school. But one of the problems is you would need some kids to say... I am a Satanist. And <laughs> that would require convincing a kid of what we're trying to do here. And I have stopped short of trying to do it because I thought it's just not fair to try and... No kid can give a proper consent to the concepts that I'd be trying to give as to why we should have Satanist classes so as to promote the idea that we shouldn't have Christian classes and blah, blah, blah. And just putting a kid in that position, I think, is really wrong. They're just not up to it at that age. Totally and so agree. so I've that's what holds me back on that whole uh, exercise. Your, is, your project to convert Australia to Satanism. Is, is I couldn't in good conscience indoctrinate a kid into, into my little scheme because um, I don't think they are really up to weighing up the pros and cons. So... You know, uh, who knows? This kid might be a, a genius and up to it, but um, unlikely. Well, uh, she yeah, might it's, be it's a genius. Sort of a... She might be a genius, but I think yeah. Paul's right. They're pa- she's parroting her parents. Yeah, you know. So um, who knows? But that's an interesting topic. That one, I mm. thought, absolutely. Mm. And um, do you know, last week, I well. Well, I'll read this article that you gave me, 12th Man, just uh, earlier today. It, it's an article titled, um, Top Chinese Army Officer Assures Australia Free Navigation in South China Sea, Never a Problem. And on the face of it, the article is about some sort of joint training that Australian troops are doing with some Chinese troops. And the Chinese troops have arrived in Australia and they're going to be in the bush doing stuff with our guys yeah. <laughs> and girls, I guess. But before, um, before they undertake these activities, um, the, I'll just read from the article here, military activities begin with traditional welcome and there's a picture of the participants undergoing a smoking ceremony where one of our Aboriginal brothers has got a pile of gum leaves smoking and everybody's sort of sticking their head into the smoke and, and getting themselves spiritually ready for the upcoming event. Um, Twelfth Man, you saw the article, your thoughts? Yeah, I, saw, I thought it was <laughs> utterly ridiculous. I mean, our military, <laughs> our military is, you know, not only well-trained, but they're equipped, you know, with modern equipment and weapons, uh, which are the product of modern science. Mm. They're not boomerangs they're not spears and you know i mean those those tools were were quite appropriate for their era and their application but we are living in the 21st century aren't we Mm -hmm. and we expect our modern military 
to embrace this kind of superstitious nonsense prior to going into potentially going into battle? I mean, are they going to have smoking ceremonies before a real battle, or is this just only if they're Winston Churchill? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just so ridiculous, isn't it? It's it's just dumb. It's just dumb. We should not be, you know. Here's a question for you: encouraging this kind of magical thinking. The same people who object to prayers in Parliament because it's mumbo-jumbo nonsense, you would expect to object to smoking ceremonies because it's mumbo-jumbo nonsense. Wouldn't you think? How many of them do? Not many of them because the Greens have already said that they want to maintain that um, welcome to country. Yeah, they they want to get rid of the Lord's Prayer and maintain welcome Welcome to country. country. So we're just prepared to swap one superstitious mumbo-jumbo nonsense for for another another one. Exactly. Yeah. Now, the, why don't the Greens see the, um, the contradiction, yeah. the inherent contradiction of their position? This is uh, they can't be that stupid, can they? Oh yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> During the week, I went to a um, a function, and it was an art society was doing something up at uh, Caloundra um, uh, Pastel Society. And there was a series of workshops. It was like a three or four day event, and they had a um, opening night drinks, welcoming people who'd come from far and wide for this sort of three or four day spectacular of pastel workshops. And um, the event started off with a welcome to country, and a local indigenous man, seemingly really he's. Look, seemed a lovely guy, but his entitlement to be there was that he was a descendant of the of, of the local people. Um, he he clearly had plenty of white blood in him as well, but he had some obviously local stuff in him as well. And and he you know he gave quite a lengthy speech, uh, welcoming people to the land and referring to some of the local names of different things. And um, and he then pulled out a didgeridoo, which he then played and admitted that the didgeridoo had nothing to do with the people of the local area. Because and not it many was, people know that. It was a didgeridoo which was, uh, you know, relevant to people in the far north. And, and it was only one in, part of the, of but, the northern but, Australia but, where the people <laughs> traditionally used the didgeridoo. But in any event, he played the didgeridoo. Yeah. And honestly, the crowd was fawning over him. They they, like, like they were honestly fawning over him as if he was Prince Charles. Um, no, they wouldn't giving, fawn over Prince Charles. Well, as if he was... Prince the, Harry. Yes. Maybe. Yes. And uh, I thought... How many people in this room would be, you know, Republican, you know, for the Republic, get rid of the monarchy, yet they were happy to pay homage to this inherited right to welcome us to country as, a, as a, like, a, like a lord of inherits rights over property. Well, it is an inherited um, position in a sense, isn't it? Because yeah. you have to be identified as a member of the local clan or something. Yeah, and... Then when the local councillor got up afterwards, it was, oh, thank you so much for that. Welcome to country. Yeah. That was really it's marvellous. Political correctness is thank what it so is. Thank you so much for, for the honour yeah. that you've given us. And We've been taught 
to hold these old, uh, you know, traditions up as some sort of, you know, sacred thing, some sort of special thing that we're just lucky to be born in Australia with this 50,000-year-old culture that hasn't changed much in 50,000 years and we should be revering it. That's like, you know, going to Europe and, you know, finding some long-lost... Oh, no, I better not go on. I'll yeah. disgrace myself. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> Scott, I'm about to read out the patrons. If you could crack open another beer while I'm doing it, no that'd, that'd be great because these are going down like a treat. <laughs> they are. <laughs> Did you Thank see you, on Leon. the ABC, um, you know how they, they show these little um, vignettes of various types of Australians, you know, as a kind of celebration of Australianness? Right. And just recently they've been showing one of a young man, probably yeah. a very decent, very nice young man uh, who identifies as Indigenous. Mm-hmm. Now, he looks like someone out of Ireland or, you know, Scotland or somewhere. He's got flaming red hair, very, <laughs> very Northern European facial features. Yes. And he said, oh, people... People tell me I, I have no right to identify as Indigenous because I don't look like one. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell them that I am Indigenous because that's what I, that's what I feel. Right, yeah. And that's what my, you know, they've, the, the Indigenous people have said that I, I am one of them and that's all I need. Mm. It's sad. Uh, one of the totally other- ignoring, you know, 50,000 years of European heritage mm. and just focusing on... The very, you know, it's a very restrictive belief system connection yeah. he has in terms mm. of his his true ancestry with mm. the local indigenous people because mm. it's kind of fashionable for some people, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one of our listeners, uh, Selena, put me on to you know the show Who Do You Think You Are, where mm. they get sort of famous people and Another they look through their family tree. Mm. Anyway, uh, Ernie Dingo mm. was one of them, and. He's got a very complicated and large family tree, but either his father or his grandfather, one of them, I think it was his grandfather, he was of the belief that his grandfather was part of this tribe that came from Central Western District, which was one of the last of the nomadic tribes. And, And he really felt that he had a nomadic sort of... Um, side to him that he had inherited from his father and that tribe and, and it was really a strong part of his, of his identity through his entire life that he had that streak in him. Anyway, when they do this so Who Do You Think You Are? It, they show documents that couldn't be sort of refuted that in fact this grandfather was not from that tribe at all but in fact was from another one. Really? And you could see, and he expressed it as well, the shock, because he said, I, I honestly, I don't know how to deal with this. I've, I've identified as this nomadic trait in me that, based on this heritage that I thought I had, that I don't have. And he just had to sit down and try and, try and work out how to figure it all out and reconstru- with reconstruct... Reality. <laughs> reconstruct his identity yeah. as a result. 
very interesting. You can watch that on iView if you're – it was not, not a bad episode, actually. So mm. thanks, Selena, for the tip on that one. Right. Time to thank our patrons. Um, Sean, Alex, Janelle, Craig, John, Jar Stingers, Platcom, Land and Hardbottom, <laughs> Wayno, who visited me today and also brought a six-pack of beer. Scott, <laughs> your, your marketing skills with the beer is <laughs> really paying off. <laughs> so thank you, Wayno, for the bonus. Um, Ayame, Brett, The Beneficiary, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Craig, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bronwyn. Thanks, Bronwyn, for the nice message. Uh, Matt J. Robert, Dean, Rod Pelle, Maddock Man, Was, uh, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Squeaky Wheel and the Two Kens. Now, Was and Liam uh, have mentioned that they're um, working their way through the back catalogue of our shows. So we've got quite a collection of of shows in the back catalogue now, gentlemen. And, look, there is a risk if you are, you know, for Woz and Liam, if you're working your way through your back uh, back catalogue. Um, this was um, a guy called What Problem just left us this, left us this message once before. Thanks for seeing me, Doc. Um, I started listening to the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove, you know, just once a week to take the edge off. And now I can't stop. I'm downloading and listening to back copies almost every day. I need your help, please. <laughs> so, so be careful, was and Liam working your way through the back uh, fair warning through the back catalogue. And um, uh, by the way, um, patrons, you know if times are tough, if you're a student or whatever, uh, our begging for money, don't feel compelled to you know for anyone out there who who's feeling tough financially, don't feel compelled that you've got to. Donate to us and by all means give us a break from that for a while or permanently if you need the money more than we do. So, should, just on that note, should they join a local Pentecostal church perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> and take, take some money from the plate. Take advantage of the prosperity make, gospel. Make a withdrawal from the plate, yes, yes. Hang on. That's a, uh, we got a voicemail. Let me just, uh, let me just see. Ah, a voicemail from Landon Hardbottom. Really? Yes. He got. Uh, if I just play it, we'll just see. Absolutely. We, we'll just uh, see see what he's got to say. Just hang on. Here, um, I'll try and. Here we go. Good work. Cheers, was Warren. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Monsieur Glove has a fondness for the amber fluid, does he? I smell a device upon which to bait my trap and exact my revenge. Careful, Landon. These seals must appear unbroken. (laughs) Cheryl, yes, my love? Oh, just putting together a gift for some friends? (laughs) This weekend... Well, I thought that I'd play polo this weekend. Oh, you don't say. A couple's retreat, intense therapy, Catholic monastery. Well, sounds delightful. (laughs) I can't wait. 
fist, glove, twelfth man. Enjoy your amber. <laughs> There's an endless supply. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh. Thank you very much, Lynn. That's, uh, look, That's great. Um, you know, Sherlock Holmes needed Moriarty, and I think uh, you've got your Moriarty now. Exactly, yeah. Velvet glove, yes, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> very good <laughs> it was very good thank you very much Lynn uh, and I'm still enjoying the beer though thanks very much Lyndon so, <laughs> uh, right we coming from that still on Morrison god he's been busy there's an article here from the New York Times uh Basically, Donald Trump has admitted he feels amazingly alone in the midst of all his scraps on the world stage with allies and snarls with undermining advisers. But there's an old saying in politics, uh, if you want a friend in politics, get a dog. But Donald Trump doesn't like dogs. So what this uh, writer of the article says, that in the Trump era, we can rewrite the maxim to be, if you want a friend in politics, get an Aussie. Because... Scott Morrison has somehow hooked up with a phone call with Donald Trump and got on like a house on fire. You're joking. No. Oh, God. Uh, quoting Scott Morrison, I think we both get it. Australia's new Prime Minister Scott Morrison cheerily told me in his office in Parliament House, even though Australia did not get rocked by a recession like the US did, Morrison says some people feel forgotten, left off the globalism gravy train. Quote, and that's what we get. The President gets that. I get it. Um, Still Morrison here. We don't want all this political correct nonsense telling people they can't have an Easter hat parade or a Christmas play in a public school, Australia's first Pentecostal Prime Minister told me. In my maiden speech, I talked about the voices of faith being driven from the public square. Guys, he's on the rampage. This this is now the fourth time, fifth time. I'm losing count now. Um. Uh, it says here, I wonder if, like Karen Pence, the devout Morrison was bothered by Trump's flouting of the commandments. And Morrison said, well, I just take people as I know them. Uh, It's apparent he doesn't know Trump yet, describing him as, quote, very practical and someone, quote, who's not going to waste a day. I like that about him, enthused Morrison who is obviously ready to do the Aussie equivalent of the Saudi sword dance. I like that about him a lot, actually. (sighs) He's talking about a guy that plays golf every other day. I I know. know. So is is Morrison a golfer as well? Because he seems to think that Trump is not wasting a moment. Trump is wasting a shitload of time. Do you know when um, Abbott got rolled and Turnbull took over, Yeah, it was a sense of relief that we finally had somebody who wasn't embarrassing mm. to be yes. interviewed by the media. Yes. yes. He'd gone to the 70-30 report with Lee Sales yeah. and it was like, oh, thank goodness, yeah. just somebody 
he's not a nut job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're back to nut job Absolutely. territory yeah. again. We are, and this is, you know... It's embarrassing. It is very embarrassing. <sighs> I wouldn't mind being embarrassed if he was doing something useful. But he's not. Here's an article from Independent Australia from a lady, Corinna Elaine, who was a member of the Pentecostal Church for 40 years. And so she says Scott Morrison's a Pentecostal and she's got 40 years of experience, so she can tell us a few things about it. Just burping up some of Landon's beer, which seems to be repeating on me a little bit more than a normal beer. Does it have just, a slightly odd aftertaste? It's, it's got a bit of a salty sort of... <laughs> <laughs> it's lost its fruitiness and it's picked up some saltiness. <laughs> um, let's look at what she says here. May I be clear here, this article relates to Pentecostal churches, of which Horizon is one, and of course that's Scott Morrison's church, that make up the Australian Christian Churches, that's the ACC, and there's a swag of them, close to a 1,000 churches that come under the banner. Members of the ACC are hardcore adherents of Pentecostal doctrine, a doctrine that differs from that of many other mainstream Christian churches. And it goes a little something like this. They believe in the literal interpretation of the Bible, including an actual devil... Uh, if it's in the Bible, so it's true, as is Adam and Eve, the great flood, homosexuality being an abomination, and sex before marriage being a sin, to name just a few. The divinity of Jesus and his ability to take them to heaven. That to be a genuine Christian, one must accept him into their life heart as their personal saviour. That they then have to, uh, that they have to then die to all their own earthly desires, at which stage they become born again. A Pentecostal Christian is an evangelical, evangelistic, born-again follower of Christ, Jesus. Everyone who doesn't accept Christ will go to hell forever, eternity, no exceptions. You can't just not exist. It's either heaven or hell. And... Anyone can talk to God and he can talk back via ideas or the Bible or through other people. And there's a strong unwavering belief in end times doctrines. They believe Jesus died to forgive all of your sins, then rose again and is going to return and take all Christians to heaven with him, leaving everyone else on earth to be punished. And this is referred to as the rapture. Um... Apparently after a thousand years, Jesus then returns to earth with all the good Christians. They get to be rulers over anyone's offspring who have somehow managed to survive after a thousand years of excruciating punishment from the devil. Um, But when they all return, Jesus creates a new earth. This could go part of the way into why Pentecostals may not be too concerned with, say, global warming. Um... Many Pentecostal Christians believe we are all living in the end times now, that Jesus' return is imminent. If that's the case, why concern themselves with petty issues like non-coal-fired power options or protecting the Great Barrier Reef? Or, or, or even, you know, taking care of our old folk in, uh, in uh, nursing homes and retirement villages. I mean, they, if, if they're good Christians, they're going to heaven anyway. And if they're not, they're going to hell. So why would you 
waste time and money on a, uh, an inquiry. Oh, well, then that's contradictory. Then, like he has actually started money, so he, if if he was at Pentecostal and the world's going to end, why have an inquiry? He wouldn't be going to do anything about it. So, it's sort of contrary to that. In Look, Scott I, Morrison's defence, I don't, I don't know why he even bothers running for office because it won't matter anyway. Mm. Why is he bothering to get his daughters educated? Yeah, why mm. not just send them to church every day? So, you know, for all the statements that we've just read from the past week, uh, here are some other thoughts from uh, Scott Morrison. My personal faith, Mr Speaker, in Jesus Christ is not a political agenda. <laughs> and this one. You get to judge my policies, no, it would but be you don't easy. get to judge my faith, mate. Yes, we do. Hmm. Scott, are you listening? We judge, <laughs> and we judge harshly. Yep. My personal faith, Mr Speaker, in Jesus Christ is not a political agenda. Bloody well sounds like one. It is, it yeah. It is a political agenda because it, it sets out the framework for a, a, a political order, an order of rule with mm. uh, God and Jesus at the top, <clears throat> and we're all supposed to you know, worship and you know, obey. That's a political order. Yeah. Look, maybe it's not so bad. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It is it's very bad. bad. It is very bad. <laughs> what if he was hit by a bus and Josh Frydenberg became Prime Minister? How would you feel about that? Um, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Why is that? Because he strikes me as more moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the article that you did send through saying he had some wacky people that he liked and that sort of stuff. Yes. Can I read that little quote? Absolutely. And you go from there. Um, Quoting from this article from the Brisbane Times, and it says, Now he has made it to one of the most powerful positions in the land. He has devoted much of the wall space of his office to portraits of his political heroes. This is Frydenberg. Yes. Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan... Margaret Thatcher, former Governor-General Sir Zelman Cohen, and, of course, Robert Menzies. Has anybody got alarm bells ringing when this guy's heroes are Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher? Yes. Well, yes. Certainly Ronald Reagan. I mean, at least Margaret Thatcher was an intelligent person. I mean, we, we might not like her policies too much, but Ronald Reagan was an imbecile. Uh, well, yeah, he, he went. Was. He had he, he lapsed into dementia in the latter part of his presidency. Yep. Even before that, he wasn't didn't yeah. show too many signs of being very bright. Yeah, he was governor of California. I know, but he mm. was an actor. He was a B grade actor. Mm. Yeah. Well, and he well, acted his way through the presidency, as far as I can tell. I've got alarm bells ringing over Josh Frydenberg as a neoliberal oh, hardcore. As a result of the heroes being Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. That's not a good sign. Well, it depends how how much of the hero worship he's got. You know, he might just admire them for what they did, but doesn't necessarily believe that that's got a place for it now. I think... Well, let's see. Well, we'll we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Let's see how he... I'm curious to know, like Frydenberg uh, identifies as Jewish, do you think he's... um, Deeply religious in that sense? 
Because many, many Jews, many Jews are not. Many Jews are culturally that's right, religious, culturally Jewish, uh, culturally Jewish but not religiously Jewish. Not, yeah. yeah. Barry Jones was, of course, famous for being a cultural Catholic, right? Yep. But also a very intelligent, eminently sensible person. So yeah. maybe Frydenberg, nah. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't really know much about Frydenberg other than he's one of those really hardworking, smart guys who's, yeah. you know, done lots, quite a few degrees with honours and with yeah. Oxford and a bunch of other things. So he's switched on in that sense and hardworking, but, oh, dear, it looks like a neoliberal hardcore with Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher there. Well, and, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. And, of course... Um, Morrison is neoliberal as well. Mm. Uh, this was part of his Menzies speech. It all began and started with the individual. It's all about the individual. If they were fortunate enough, they would have a family that loved them. And not all Australians have that. If they were fortunate enough, they would have a family and the family would support them. And then there's the community. People from school, people volunteering for the emergency services, um, people are just getting together and crocheting. He talked about the importance of freedoms, of faith, of religion. Hmm. He mentioned twice faith and religion. Why not yeah. just one word, superstition? He also or mentioned two words, the magical in- thinking. And he mentioned the individual and family as being the only key things. I'm halfway through a book. A brief history of neoliberalism. <laughs> it's a good read. And and in it, it talks about basically Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher as being the architects of neoliberalism. I wouldn't the, have mentioned it, but you seem to have less hair this week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> From tearing it out. Yeah. Anyway, in the section on Margaret Thatcher... Um, uh, there was, she famously declared, no such thing as society, only individual men and women. And she subsequently added their families. All forms of social solidarity were to be dissolved in favour of individualism, private property, personal responsibility and family values. Economies, uh, economics are the method, she said, but the object is to change the soul. So all of those things... The family, individualism, the family, private property, all being repeated by Scott Morrison in that Menzies address and seemingly Joseph Frydenberg in the whole neoliberal thing as well. It's, um, it's depressing. Look, I won't read it because we've, we've gone too far and we're running out of time, but there'll be links to an article from... Uh, one from Greg Sheridan, foreign editor for The Australian, where he goes on about what a great mob the happy clappy Pentecostals are because <laughs> just, God damn it, they're just good old-fashioned people of faith, essentially, mm. and that's a good thing. And sure, they might speak in tongues, but hey, it's just another way of praying. Really? After all... <coughs> Surely, yeah, yeah. They they might act like complete lunatics, but hey, he says here yeah, a skeptic may view it as a kind of free range vocalization of the sentiment of prayer. <laughs> oh, there is certainly nothing in it of superstition or of the sinister. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> You're the one losing hair now. 
Oh, so, yeah. so you can read, um, the, you know, Greg Sheridan. I won't go any further on it. And then, dear listener, I've mentioned how this Australian subscription I'm still smarting over. <laughs> and I have to tell you, Crikey is doing the same to me, but from the other side, because there was an article from Crikey, which I now subscribe to as well. Thank you for your contributions that allow me to do that. And in it, um, basically they bagged Australia for being racist, for for spawning a cartoonist who could depict Serena Williams in such a fashion and also bagged the ABC for daring to interview um, um, Bannon, Steve Bannon, and then um, bagged Carolyn Wilson for um, for criticising Serena Williams. Just to give you an example here, then came a lecture from sports journalist Carolyn Wilson laying into Serena Williams for her bad behaviour. Wilson dug up incidents from as far back as 2009 before castigating the tennis player, who this time last year was close to death following birthing complications for setting back women's rights and gender equality, doing a disservice to Me Too and embarrassing mothers. I'm surprised she stopped before placing Williams on the grassy knoll. <laughs> what? And, uh, so it was just... What uh, possessed you, Fist, to subscribe to that nonsense? Because you get stuff from this that the, the listener needs to hear, the you need to hear, this okay. side of things. I have I'm, another suggestion you, for you. You drink more alcohol? No, no, another oh. subscription oh. for you. New Matilda. New Matilda. <laughs> if you want to read yeah. some yeah. raving, mad, <laughs> left-wing nonsense, have a look at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, we didn't even get on to. We'll cut this one off, but we didn't. We'll get on to next week. The Coleman Hughes. No, actually, let's just quickly get this concept out. I've got a link to an article from Coleman Hughes in the Spectator, but he's my new favourite one. And here's an interesting idea where he was talking about um, quotas and the university system, and um, he was on. A, uh, a podcast called The Godless Spellchecker. And I think Janelle gave me, uh, alerted me to this. And he provided a really interesting insight into affirmative action. So what he was saying is that um, minority students are placed in colleges where they would not normally qualify. And they are therefore in the bottom half intellectually of the student cohort that they're in. So a math student at MIT could be in the bottom 10% at MIT, but be in the top 10% in the country. So these um, students from minority groups, and let's just take African-American as an example, could be a very bright um, math student and would normally get, say, an entrance into a second-tier university or a you know, and, and do quite well. But they end up in, say, a first-tier university like MIT and they really struggle because they're in the wrong cohort. They're in with a bunch of people who are a lot brighter than they are. What happens is after two years, they get disheartened. Like, they're actually struggling to keep up with everybody and consequently 
they end up transferring to an easier degree and not finishing their first one. So, um, so if they had been placed in the say second or third tier university, which is where they had qualified for, then they would have, by all likelihood, have performed quite well, and um, so it actually puts them at a disadvantage to be in such a strong cohort. And so what you've got is, say, groups who should be in the second tier are now in the first tier. The second tier colleges, they need to fill their minority statistics, their quotas. So they get kids from the third tier up into the second tier. And the third tier schools, they need minority students. So they pluck kids who should have been in fourth or fifth tier or not at all into their third tier. So all of these kids, or a great number of them, actually end up in universities and in courses and in cohorts that are too strong for them. They become disheartened and fail. And uh, consequently, because they are not in the top percentages of their groups, very few of them end up in academia because you need a, an honours level. Now, whether that's an honours of a, of a second tier you become a you know an academic of a second tier, but that because they're uh, in this tough group, they never get to that level. And he talks about um, what would happen if you scrubbed it. And in California, they did exactly that. They passed a law that overnight said we are no longer promoting minority groups into higher uh, echelon universities. And what they found was that the pass rate of minority groups improved. So more kids actually ended up with degrees because they were in the right schools for their ability. So that's another sort of interesting argument to the whole affirmative action story. I thought that was very interesting. He's an interesting writer, isn't he? And he's clearly um, against this... um so-called affirmative action and quotas for, you know, based on, you know, ethnicity, skin colour, whatever. Mm. And the other thing in that was that in all of those universities then, you know, the white and Asian cohort looking in the classes are continually seeing black kids who are performing poorly. That's going to give them an impression in a bigoted opinion of black students. They'll form negative stereotypes. Exactly, Mm. yeah. So... Fascinating. Well, there we go. That is very interesting. Yeah, mm. it makes you wonder that um, if they do what they've done in California, how long it'll be before the black kids catch up, and you well, end up with a sort of percentage of the top tier schools being black that also represents a percentage of the population, just through natural. Absolutely, yeah, yeah through natural ability. Yeah. There's cultural things going on, as we've discussed before. Yeah, well, though, I know we've discussed which, that. Yeah, we've said that, you know, you don't want to look white and that, that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, so certain cultures are good at at encouraging certain behaviours. So, uh, you know, Indian culture, for example, is very good at producing doctors and professional people. That's part of their culture. And we know, you know, STEM subjects with Asian students is very, you know, that, that culture is good at producing those sorts of people and uh, he makes the point as well that you know it's very hard to think of any um, Asian icons of music 
but you could rattle off dozens of names of, of black musicians yeah. uh, who have excelled at music, you know, different cultures. There are some uh, Asian icons in music, of course, but, yeah, but proportionately yeah, yes, fewer. Yeah. Yo-Yo mm. Ma. Yo-Yo Ma. You don't know Yo-Yo Ma? No. He's a cellist, very famous, right. highly accomplished yeah, Right, yeah. And there are others, of course. There are opera singers. There yeah. are violinists from yeah. Japan, okay, Korea, let me change China. that to popular music. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Yoko Ono doesn't count. Really? <laughs> anyway, there you go. So I that was the final. Yoko Ono did anything with that, did she? Oh, you don't want to listen to any Yoko Ono. She persisted Ono. for decades. Oh, You'd be amazed. Oh, really? Oh, oh, her yeah. sort of screaming stuff is just yeah, it's, it's her horrendous. Her voice was really atrocious. Yeah, horrendous, yeah. Right. Well, there you go. That was our Scott Morrison episode once again, it seems. And don't forget the challenge, dear listener. A letter to the editor. Yeah, yes. Get it published. And let's and report to us during the week. And let's see uh, who our champion IFEG listener is who could get at least one published, if not more. Yeah. Uh, Good luck. <laughs> Can we have a mention of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast in every letter too, please? I think that might disqualify it from being published. Exactly. So you don't feel compelled to do that. But just do it and, and then let us know if you get published. Good luck. And yeah, I was fingers crossed. Of course. Yeah, good. Right. See you next week. Or we won't see you. Uh, please join in and listen to our podcast next week. Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you, sir. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf, on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon, and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So 
it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.